Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy, successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with business owners, executives, and retirees for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to another investment bonus edition of the Wealthy Behavior Podcast, where I sit down with our chief investment officer, Bob Weiss, to discuss what's going on in the markets and the investment universe right now. Last month, Bob and I talked about the FANG stocks and why they were struggling and what to do about it as an investor. Today, we're going to pivot more to the broader market. The beginning of this week had the S&P 500 crossing into bear market territory before staging a bit of a comeback. There's a lot of talk of recession, hard landing, soft landing, and we all know the high inflation that we're facing. So in my mind, there couldn't be a better time to chat with a chief investment officer who oversees a team that manages more than $2 billion for individual investors. So Bob, at the end of our FANG podcast, I asked you what you were thinking about from an investment standpoint, so to speak, what's on your desk. And you said inflation, the Fed, and whether we can have a soft landing. What have you seen in the last month? Yeah, so that continues to be the story with markets, inflation, and um, you know, people keep talking about it. And when you look at what is working with investments, inflation-sensitive assets are where we've made good money for our clients. That's held up quite well. Um, so since then, I think the market's pulled back a little more. And naturally, you say, okay, stocks are down a lot. They're down 20%. Let's buy but you look in a traditional portfolio and your bonds are also down. So uh, we're starting to have the perspective that maybe we saw peak inflation and investors have bid up those assets. And maybe it's time to take some chips off the table with inflation sensitive assets and start to buy some of these other assets that are more beaten up. So while we're hearing and talking about inflation, sometimes typically markets move ahead and are forward looking. So just because inflation's in the headlines doesn't mean now's the time to invest based on the headlines, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. There's a lot there to, to unpack. Let, let me try to get at it a little bit in order. I, I was Because I was going to ask you about that. We've seen some reports this week that inflation expectations are moderating and maybe some numbers are coming in indicating we've already achieved peak inflation? Is that what you were referring to with, uh, with, with your talk of inflation-sensitive assets? Exactly. We had an 8-plus percent print a couple months ago. And while it's still high, will it continue to trickle down? Will the Fed uh, you know, slow down the economy enough that inflation will get to a more normal level over time? So what are inflation-sensitive assets? Tips are a common one. Treasury inflationary protected securities. We don't invest in tips. We're more focused on real estate. And then broad real assets, the way we invest, it includes uh, farmland, timberland, and infrastructure. So if you just think that assets that will appreciate typically when inflation is high. So you know, if inflation's high, the price of corn probably goes up, the value of farmland goes up, or real estate, you know, it's very much in the formula for inflation. So that's what we look at as inflation-sensitive assets. And those have done well this year? They have. Nice. Okay. And so uh, I guess a, a little bit of a sidebar uh, for, for people who might be interested, why not TIPS? Well, TIPS are the government bonds and overall they have a, a low yield or really no yield. So your entire return is based on CPI. Um, but what you see is when inflation's high, when CPI is high, bond yields go up. 
So an overall demand for bonds goes down. So typically it's a decline in price. So inflation helps dampen that, helps offset the decline in price, but you're still not looking at a great return over time. Got it. Return Future return expectations, uh, which makes a lot of sense. So you, you shared that earlier this week, we trimmed a little bit in real assets and added to, to stocks. Um, but I think what you were getting at when you were talking about stocks being down and unfortunately bonds being down to start the year is that uh, as an asset allocator, uh, portfolio allocations were pretty in line with where we wanted them to be. This was not like March of 2020 when stocks sold off by 30 plus percent, bonds were up and, and we rebalanced and we ended up buying a lot of stock. This is more incremental because portfolios are, are kind of in line with where they should be from an allocation standpoint. Yeah, so we just trimmed profits, um, taking positions back to target. What we're looking at is if you rewind a little bit, um, each year we look at capital market assumptions, which are long-term 10-year forecast for asset classes. And we build a portfolio based on those return assumptions. Um, we're revisiting that now because if you, say, reduce prices in the stock market by 20%, you increase prices in real assets by 5%, you reduce prices in bonds by 10%. All these are major moves. So does that change your expected future return? It does. Does it change it enough to warrant a more strategic change to the asset allocation? That's what we're looking at right now and might be making some changes in the near, near term or intermediate term. So Bob, when you made that kind of slight rebalancing move, I guess I would categorize it as that wasn't some kind of prediction that the bear market or the market that we touched on in, in terms of a 20% decline earlier this week is, is over. This was more just executing um, and a process. Exactly. Traditional rebalancing, one asset's down a lot, one's up. You take profits from the one that's up by the one that's down, and, and that's just how we operate. That's standard rebalancing. And I guess, do you think the, the worst is behind us? I mean, the markets are up five or 6% from the bottom this week. And I, I know you hate the, the terminology we've talked about in the past, correction, bear market, you know, all these artificial thresholds. Do you think this is a bear market rally or do you think the market is maybe getting optimistic like you are that inflation is at least heading in the right direction? Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> um, let me take out the crystal ball. No, I mean, honestly, of course it can go either way. And on one side, I, I do think there's a very realistic possibility that inflation remains elevated. The Fed increases rates 50 basis points, then 50 again, and gets the Fed funds rate up to two, even closer to 3%. And that could send us into recession. I don't know that the economy can tolerate that. That, that could be tough. Um, and will they even pop the inflation bubble in doing that at different angles? Inflation stays elevated and they can't slow down inflation. Um, but when you get away from the macro, because that's all macro, and you start to look at companies, valuations are starting to get attractive. So when you, if you look at individual stocks and you see things like Google below 20 times earnings, Google's at 35 times earnings last year. Um, you know, financial services like banks, you know, um, like Citigroup below 10 times earnings. So some of the, when you look at the stocks and where valuations are, it's attractive. So on one hand, the macro backdrop is ugly, but as an investor, uh, investments are, are starting to look good, starting to look pretty cheap. So um, will we skate, skate out of this? Okay. Will there be a soft landing? I don't know. 
but uh, maybe a different way of thinking about it, if I can restructure your question. If you buy stocks now, will you be happy with your return over the next five to 10 years? I think you will be. I think this is a good entry point. Will there be a storm coming in the next 12 months or so? No one knows. I'm not going to say I know. Um, whether or not it gets bumpy, I don't know. But valuations are looking good these days. Yeah, and that, that's what makes investing so difficult. And if you had, by the way, um, had a very clear crystal ball projection, I'd walk over to your office and see if you were still the same guy. So um, it makes investing so difficult because the macro is, is impossible to predict. It's, it's impossible to, to know. Um, and the bottoms and the tops are impossible to call. But you're saying as an investor directionally, when things become attractive, you should invest in them. And the market volatility that we've seen earlier this year or that we're seeing right now has caused um, you know, stocks and, and bonds to become more attractive. So a long-term investor should you know, feel comfortable uh, getting in, but expect more volatility ahead. Well said. Well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate that. Uh, so um, in, in terms of that, and, and we, I, I mentioned the bonds, you, you didn't necessarily, but you're, you're also, I think, of the mindset that bonds are also more attractive after the first few months of this year. Yeah, definitely. The 10-year treasury got up to about 3.25%, which was a healthy yield. It's at 275, around 275 right now. If you look over the last 10 years, it, it touched 3% a couple of times, but hasn't um, really gone much above that or even sustained levels above 3%. So seeing a risk-free asset getting you 3% um, is pretty good. And when you think about um, treasury yields and where they should be, one, one thing to consider is um, the U.S. government has about $30 trillion in outstanding debt. They don't want to be rolling over that debt at rates of 3 and 4% because then you're looking at just interest payments alone of close to a trillion dollars. So I know the Fed's supposed to be independent, but uh, you know, yields are probably going to be low. They should be low. You also look at a global economy overseas. Um, in Europe and Japan, bond yields are very low, so that creates foreign demand. So just in general, the idea that U.S. Treasury bonds are you know, going from you know, 3 or 4% versus are attractive at 3 I do think they're attractive at 3 and credit spreads have widened as well. So I think the bond market's starting to look good. Can you explain a little bit more on that credit spreads have widened? You know, what does that mean and, and why does it matter? Yeah, so you know, people, including me, just commonly talk about the treasury market. So say a 10-year treasury is at 3%, um, but not everyone buys treasuries. You could buy corporate bonds, municipal bonds, um, asset-backed securities, mortgage-backed securities, anything but treasury bonds. And when you do, you're taking credit risk because treasury bonds don't come with credit risk unless you think the treasury is going to default. So when you're taking this credit risk, you deserve a premium, a spread in return. That spread ranges over time. So typically what you see is when investors are bullish and risk-seeking, that spread is narrow. When people get concerned, that spread is wider. And that spread has widened right now. So people are getting what I would call well compensated for taking credit risk. Spreads could widen more. But um, it's definitely looking better than it has since, um, you know, that March of 2020 COVID crash. Understood. No, I, I get that. And that's a great explanation. Th thank you for doing that. And you touched on this a little bit with international markets. We've been focused so much uh, on this podcast so far about the U.S. And our last one about the FANG stocks was obviously U.S. centric. But we are global stock market investors. 
And um, I'd love for you to explain just at a high level why you think it's important to be a global stock market investor. And then maybe we can chat a little bit about what's going on in the international markets uh, for you know, the listeners who don't follow it as closely as the S&P. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, people relate to the U.S. markets, including myself, so it's easy to talk about. But being a global investor is important. About 60% of the world's stock market is in the U.S. The other 40% of market cap is overseas, and there are great opportunities overseas. Um, you also typically see better valuations. So um, we are seeing good opportunities overseas when we talk to our managers. Um, the, the foreign managers are kind of pounding the table on how cheap things have got. Um, one example um, that we're hearing uh, managers like is really Chinese equities, that that tech sec sector, their internet stocks have just gotten hammered um, with everything that's going on in the world. And then you add to it uh, the Chinese government and um, their policy. Um, so some of those stocks like Alibaba, it's down around 60% from its peak. Uh, so the story there is a bit of what used to be a high-tech growth stock is now a value stock. Uh, so we think there are opportunities there, and we, we are putting money to work in that space. It's a small portion of our client portfolios, but it's a different driver of return over time. Got it. And what, what about developed international? What, what are you seeing in, in, in Western Europe, Canada, Japan? Yes, we're seeing opportunities in foreign investments. One example is developed international markets, where one of the funds we own, our larger allocation, is at a price-to-earnings ratio of 12. So when you're paying 12 times earnings for a company, um, you know, you think of how that is as earnings yield. You flip the 12 to 1 over 12, that's about an 8.3% earnings yield. So that's your, your starting point for a return, and then any growth builds on that 8.3%. So um, looking at the attractive valuations overseas, definitely stands out as a good place to invest. And that's one of the reasons why we have a global allocation. And what are your thoughts? I, I get this question a lot in, in review meetings and I'd love to hear your perspective. What has the war in Ukraine done in terms of the volatility that we're seeing right now? Or is that kind of coincidental to the inflation and rising rate story? Yeah, I think the, the war in Ukraine has done two things. One is it has increased energy prices and energy goes through the economy, not just as energy um, hitting inflation, but all the, how it goes through the supply chain and every part of the economy. So that has um, helped push up inflation, which was already high. So there's um, the impact on inflation. And then second, just global instability, uncertainty, negativity, investors don't like that. So that's just more sentiment driven. Um, you know, people just being more concerned, more cautious, and it's tough to measure that. Um, but having a war and this you know, geopolitical disaster that we're seeing overseas isn't good for markets. So you're probably with the energy prices and inflation feeling pretty good about the Tesla and the solar panels that you uh, have added to your life lately? Absolutely. I, uh, we, we have two cars. One is a Tesla. I haven't um, Obviously, need gas for that one for a while, but I did for my other car. Filled up gas yesterday. It was ninety dollars. It's insane. <laughs> uh, first time I, I filled up, you know, gas in probably two months. And my wife's been driving the Tesla a lot. So, uh, but yes, yeah, my my house is, uh, you know, we don't pay any electricity or gas for uh, most of our driving. Yeah, and you had a great blog post on that on the HeritageFinancial.net site on the kind of economics of investing in solar panels in, in your home. So if you're interested in that topic, 
as a listener, uh, I definitely recommend checking it out. So, Bob, where do we go from here? I, I mean, in terms of you, you touched on it a, a little bit earlier when you talked about updating our capital market assumptions and seeing if it was going to drive any bigger asset allocation changes. That's a process that's in the works, but elaborate on that a little bit. And, and, and where do you go from here as an investor, as a chief investment officer? Yeah, so investing, I, I like to say it's all relative with investing, it's relative value. You have all these different investments you can choose from, and you have to put a portfolio together to um, look to deliver the best return for the risk you're taking. So as these inputs change, relative value changes. So we're looking at seeing equity returns go up because prices have gone down. So your expected return in stocks is higher now. And bonds, uh, the math is pretty simple. With bonds, your expected return is basically the yield. Yields are higher, expected returns are higher. So stocks are more attractive, bonds are more attractive. The picture on alternatives and real assets hasn't really changed much. They've done well. We're not going to say that um, you know downturns coming, but also I don't think they're any more attractive now than they were months ago. So if if you just hold those three variables and two get more attractive, one is the same, then naturally you might see some rebalancing, some um, move of assets from the one that stay the same, real assets, to the two that are more attractive right now, being stocks and bonds. So you're fairly optimistic, which um, is, I think, one of the. Uh, investment paradoxes that the you know the worse the markets get, the more attractive they they can become longer term. Yeah, exactly. You know, just stepping back, one of the things we talk about with um, new clients is behavioral finance, and yeah, you know, I, I like talking about the fight or flight mentality. I think it really is fascinating and how um, you know human DNA we're wired. Something's good, you want to be there. It's bad, you want to run away. And I've been telling that to clients for years, and uh, this is about as bad as it's been. Uh, minus the, the, the March of 2020 COVID crash. And, and there's so much negativity out there. So you just take all the negativity. Clients are not coming in and saying, buy stocks. I, I want to invest. It's, there's so much good going on that just when you see valuations looking attractive, you see all the negativity, sentiment's terrible. It just starts to um, you know, make you think maybe it's a good time to you know, put money to work or at least be positive about investing. Let me push back on you a little bit if, if I can. One thing that a lot of people have um, attributed the great market run we've had since 2009 to is the Fed and how accommodative they were, how easy monetary policy was, how dovish they were, whatever you know, financial jargon you want to use. The Fed, in a lot of people's opinions, was helping markets and maybe pulled back from previous attempts at hiking rates or tightening monetary policy because the market just didn't react well. Now it seems because the Fed is late to the game and maybe we're wrong last year about inflation that they've basically told the markets, we don't care about the volatility. We don't care about the sell-offs. We have to get inflation under control. Don't look to us to to kind of bolster uh, stocks. Um, We're moving forward and ignoring everything else. Would that make you more bearish? Yeah, so that that's all fair. And I think that is their perspective. They are moving forward. And um, to some extent, they don't even say it directly, but um, I think they want the stock market to go down. I think the phrase they use is tightening financial conditions. And um, to some extent, that just means uh, you push the stock market down, people have less wealth on paper, 
they spend less, they don't pay as much for housing, et cetera, and that, that helps um, push stocks down. So that, that definitely is the scenario where inflation stays high, the Fed continues to hike rates, they're relentless attacking inflation, and that, that's not a good economy. We head into a recession, corporate profits go down, unemployment picks up, it's a messy picture. But I guess the, the um, one reassuring thing is, if, if you think right now, if we're down about 20% already from the peak, are we halfway there? Are we two thirds of the way there? We're certainly partway there. A lot of that is priced in. So yeah, maybe we see another 20% down from here. And I know that that would be tough for a lot of investors to stomach, um, but you know we'll recover. So trying to time these things is more of a fool's game. It really could go either way. None of us know. Um, if it recovers, you know, you'll be a fool to sit on your hands and, and miss it. So I think you want to invest now to catch the upside. And if it gets worse, I still think these are pretty good entry points looking out if you have a long-term time horizon. And you can rebalance again if things get get worse from, from here. Right. Um, what else are you uh, looking at, Bob, these days from an investment standpoint? So it's not as if what you already shared isn't enough, but is there anything else that you're finding either interesting or, or compelling as an investor? I think you've, we've pretty much hit it. Um, stock market's getting attractive, opportunities around the world. You've heard me talk about tech a couple of times. As value investors, you know, we've been pretty much talking down the FANG stocks for many, many years. And now, not as a basket, I wouldn't go ahead and buy them, but um, you know, some of them still look pretty pricey, but some are starting to become almost more value companies. So that, that's new to us. Um, the Chinese tech story, we've been way underweight to the point of even not, in, not owning those companies. And now those are more entering our universe of what I'd consider attractive. So that's what's new lately. Um, beyond that, you know, we are looking at private equity markets this year. Um, I think those are interesting because capital is dried up there. Managers are having a harder time to raise money. Valuations have come in. So I think we might be finding some opportunities there. And that's what we're working on right now. Um, but if that's not enough, um, you know, that's what's keeping us busy right now. I think that's definitely enough, Bob. Nobody can say, hey, get to work. Uh, you definitely have a lot on your plate. So thank you for walking uh, through this uh, with me. I, I thought it was a fascinating conversation and, and very helpful to investors and listeners. Sounds good. Thanks, Sammy. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and sharing this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow Heritage Financial on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are that of the speaker, are subject to change, and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.